This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation between myself and Ghost Bath frontman Dennis McCoola. The catalyst for the chat is the release of the new album for 2021 from Ghost Bath. It is titled Self Loather. It will be out on the 19th of November, so about a month away or thereabouts from today's date, which is early October. This is an interesting conversation because Dennis is one of those guys who's taken quite a bit of flack online. We talk about that. Of course, we discuss the album, and it's hard to know whether Ghost Bath is his side project or his synthwave label is a side project. Either way, he's a busy fella, and he talks about why. And I mentioned the synthwave stuff there, so you might be a fan of some of the releases that he helps release. So here he is, Dennis McCoola from Ghost Bath. I've got to be upfront here with you, Dennis, and say that look, I was um, I was part of a cohort of uh, heavy metal fans that didn't know what to think when Moon Level was re- reissued by Nuclear Blast, okay? Because uh, I'd never heard Funeral. Um, so, but the point is, you you are, and you should be able to borrow and experiment before um, developing your own sound. But look, um, I did review Star Mourner, and I quite liked it. To be honest with you, I thought it had some cool rock and roll elements. Even um, what's the? Uh, I did a, I did a review of it, and what's the name of the the guitarist who works with uh, Billy Idol, who did the Top Gun theme? I thought it had elements of that throughout. It's incredible. I thought you were the first metal band, like blackish metal band, that I thought had brought some of these cinematic references throughout your music. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll let you know that I quite liked it on that basis, but. Um, I do feel like as though you've arrived at a point now where you have your own identifiable sound, okay? Um, And I think that's going to allow you to build a pretty serious following, okay? Now, a few points came to mind as I was listening to Self-Loather, and that's the main point there is that you arrived at a songwriter, but here's the big one. I think you've arrived at a point where you're going to influence others, okay? Because that's when you know you've truly arrived. You're going to start hearing bands that sound like Ghost Bath, if that makes sense. So... In summary, I think self-loather takes everything you've done to date and distills it into an essence all of your own. So what are your thoughts on what I've just said and is there anything you'd like to add? Um, this is totally random, but are you um, like recording video, audio, transcribing, like what? <laughs> um, pod, I have a podcast. Oh, sick. Okay, cool. Um, sorry, I have like eight interviews today and I get, I'm getting them mixed up. <laughs> no, that's all good. <laughs> no dramas. Um, I, I do video too. If you want, if you want, I can put up a video as well. Oh, whatever no, helps no, me, it doesn't, whatever you want to do. I was just curious. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear everyone's take on, on Star Mourner because I've heard people say like anime. I've heard people say Sonic the Hedgehog. I've heard people say eighties heard people, you know, and now you just bring up like Top Gun. Um, it's just it's it's interesting to hear like everyone obviously has their own like experiences so they're gonna like connect it with whatever whatever they hear from from their previous listening um for me i i just really like i mean the album was supposed to be super melodic sort of the happiest album we've written and so Mm. that's just kind of how it turned out I've, i've always used melody though and i was really into like Van Halen and stuff, even though I'm obviously no, no Eddie Van Halen. I'm not yeah, that good go. of a guitar player, yeah. but, um, 
you said with this new one, we sort of distilled it down. Yeah. I wanted, I, I just don't want to write the same thing twice. And, you know, because Star Warner was so long, I thought shorter songs would make more sense. It'd be more intense. Um, I wanted to leave people a little bit wanting more instead of, you know, I mean, Star Warner was a 72 minute album and uh, we really wanted to try to keep this one to around 45 minutes, like a, like uh, Moon Lover was. Um, I think, I think, yeah, we just, we just take every element. So like from the arts, the color, the, the vocal style, the lyrics, the, even to the length of the songs. Um, we just try to focus that all on, on a single um, aspect. And I was trying to make it the heaviest, the most intense, the darkest. Uh, it's, it turned out to be sort of, the most black metal, even though I, I, I don't think it's like a traditional black metal album really. Um, because just mm. from my roots, um, I don't know if it's just from being in the, U from the U S in general or from the Midwest, but I have a lot of, we all have a lot of like, uh, melodic hardcore roots and that's sort of where we draw a lot of our, our melody and our songwriting style. Um, more so bands like, fear before the march of flames type stuff growing up i remember they were one of the biggest ones that came to my town because i, I lived in a, a tiny town called minot north dakota so i didn't really get to see mm. too many concerts and the ones that did come were all like melodic hardcore like emo um midwest emo where they they tap they have like a clean guitar and they'll do a lot of tapping so i do draw influence yeah. from that too on this record there's a few parts where i do different tapping parts um on the first single that uh sort of the lead riff that comes in the one with the music video, that's a tapping part. So yeah. Um, all that combined with, um, everyone in the band putting their input and writing the record because every record before this was just me. That was a big difference. Mm -hmm. Um, they were able to provide stuff. I don't really think about or just styles. I don't really write. Like for me, I'm really focused on chord progressions, how one chord, progresses into another one and the melody over it and how that that changes how you hear it and these guys um a lot of them are into more death metal i do like death metal i'm just not good at writing it and so they they brought more um different rhythmic elements and different deathier type riffs and so that's where on my side i brought you know the lower vocals that i do now that i've never done before um just i think that's came also from listening to a lot more death metal, but yeah, I think no matter what we write, it's going to kind of have our voice now and, and it's going to sound like ghost bath, even though the record's very different, it's, it still sounds like ghost bath. And that's a lot of the feedback I got when I first showed people like, uh, this is like really cool. This is new, but I can, I can tell it's a ghost bath record. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that point there. I just feel like as though, you've you've arrived at a point as i say where um it sounds like ghostbath but it really sounds like you now and and you've almost got the template now you can work with moving forward so same thing i think happened well actually it happened in reverse it's going to make it was a bad point actually uh, about trivium because i think they've gotten far worse as they've progressed they had it they had us when they were trying to figure out what their sound was they were a killer band up until shogun and every album i think they've released ever since then sounds like annihilators um what's the third album called from them i can't remember but i'm having a shocker this morning 6 a.m i'll put that as my uh i'll make that as my uh my excuse for not remembering things but just to go back on a point the track luminescence i think was the best song that you'd written 
up until this point in time, that's the one that sounds like Harold Faltermeyer's Top Gun theme and the guitarist, of course, is Steve Stevens. That's the reference that I wanted to wanted to bring to you before. But um, my next question is, uh, do, do you personally have a favourite song on the album? If you are going to show somebody you've you've evolved to this point and you wanted to say to them this is the this is the song that i think best represents myself what song would you choose from the album hmm i think there's two um the one i i nobody else wanted to like use it as a single or anything i thought it was really cool but it's definitely very different i don't think it represents the whole album like i think it's like and I didn't want every song to sort of sound the same. So it, it sounds a little bit different. It's um, unbearable. Um, I think that, I don't know, there's just something about it. It's sort of brooding, um, sort of how, I mean, it has the tapping guitar. It has a really like beautiful, sad sounding chord progression. And that one is one that I wrote most of. So mm -hmm. each song, like one of the guitar players were kind of the primary writer and then the rest um, wrote on top or helped form the the song so i think that that one's my favorite like the end where the the tapping kind of wraps around the um the riff and the chugging riff and so every time we were on the one beat the tapping's in a different spot and i just i i like the way that sounds it, it's kind of like sludgy kind of like moving along um, and then the other one is flickering wicks of black, I think, which is the last track on the record. Um, yeah. that one, I did not have most of the writing, but I, I think the stuff that I added to it made it just a perfect, like meld of all of our guitar writing styles. It's very intense right from the start. And mm. I really like that, um, like clean picking with the super low vocals and sort of the blast beat, like the contrast in that part, I think worked really well. And then at the very end, I was still able to do sort of the depressive suicidal black metal vocals, like the high pitch stuff when the, the, the chord progression changes to something more like hopeful and uplifting. That's kind of like the ghost bath sound. So I think that one sort of encompasses the record a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So those, those would be my two favorite. Sweet, yeah. Look, um, Astral and Ode from Star Mourner, I enjoy them a lot. And I think you've got a I think you've got a sweet spot within your songwriting narrative there. Uh, but you do have an instrumental on uh on self-loather called I Hope Death Finds Me Well. And as I say, you can write that stuff. You're very good at it. So do you have any plans or is there an idea for you to write something similar to what Walls in the Throne Room did with Celestite, which is an album? completely full of ambience and synth driven material um i mean piano was my first instrument um when i was very little my grandparents got me one where like the keys light up to teach you how to play mm. and so that was like one of the first instruments i could actually play songs on and experiment with um as far as like an entire album with no with just like synths and ambience and stuff like that. I think if I did something like that, I would, I would just make it a different project. Like I already do. Um, I have some dark ambient stuff. I run a vaporwave dark ambient record label. Oh, right. And so, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah cool. I do. I do that kind of stuff under different aliases and different projects. So I think yeah. if I was to do something 
well, I already have done stuff that's like fully synth and, and, um, without sort of, you know, drums, guitar, all that. I would just make it sound different. It wouldn't be like a ghost bath track. I think ghost bath sort of has its sound. And even though I'll experiment with it, I think to go too far from that, you should just call it something different in my opinion. Yeah, I can't remember who I was speaking to in Wolves in the Throne Room, but they said something similar that they wouldn't do an album like uh, Celestite again because it doesn't really represent what the band's about, words to the effect anyway. Mm. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I, I'm very open-minded with film. I mean, I think as an artist you're allowed to do whatever you want and un- release it underneath whatever name you want. Um, but, uh, look, I understand there's the marketing side of things and that might not even be the key motivator. But uh, to your point, if you're already doing it and you've already got the label there, you've already, you're already doing it. It's that simple. So um, what's the, the uh, Vaporwave label called? It's called Geometric Lullaby. Um, it's been around since 2018. We do, we st- I started just doing like uh, cassette tapes. I would do 50 cassette tape limited edition 50 cassettes um and they're like selling out really well and it's just been growing since then now it's my main my main job so uh we do vinyl now so mostly vinyl and cassettes and then everything if you want to listen or download it it's free to download so that that effectively is your day job is that what you're saying yep that is my day job so i just work from home i it's mainly like answering emails, doing all the back end of things. Cause I, I used to ship everything myself as well. Um, it, I'd have like 300 vinyl records. I'd be sitting, sitting there taping everything up. And now that, that got really rough when the orders, uh, when we just grew bigger and bigger. So I, I couldn't do it anymore. I have a warehouse now. And so, yeah, it's all just like back end. I do all the design work for it too, or most of the design work. I work with a designer now for some stuff, but Yep, that's my day job. Yeah, sweet. No, I'll definitely check it out. Um, I love Vaporwave. It's unbelievable. And I think a lot of metal fans feel the same way. Uh, there's, there's a couple of bands out there having a shocker this morning. Can't remember them off the top of my head, but uh, there's one French band, I know that, who's quite big. You probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, anyway, metal fans tend to go for this Vaporwave stuff. So I, I bet the majority of the people that are buying your material are people like myself. Um, It's possible. Um, it's another like niche genre, but there is, there is quite a bit of crossover with, with metal fans I've, I've noticed and people will, hmm. will always be like either from either side, like from the ghost bath side, Oh, I didn't know you ran geometric lullaby cause I knew the label or from the label side they're like, Oh, I didn't know you're in ghost bath. Yeah. So that happens quite often. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Hey, who's in, who's in Ghost Bath these days? Because I noticed you'd have included a, a band pick with the, or Nuclear Blast have included a band pick with some of the promo. Um, it's all the people um, that have been in the band since we started playing live. Uh, we got Jason, so drummer, Josh on bass, and we have three guitarists, myself included, and then we got uh, Tim and John. And we did have a different drummer for one tour with Abigail Williams, but then our original drummer came back. So yeah, it's all the original lineup since we started touring back in, when was our first tour? 2016, I want to say. So, and, but this is the first, mm-hmm. the first album that they've written music on. So since then they were just cut, they were a live band and, um, they recorded on star mourner but they didn't write the parts and then for this one it was a full um combination of all of our ideas 
Okay, sweet. Yeah. Now, Kim Kelly, who Tucker Carlson said describes herself as the Labor columnist at Team Vogue. Sorry, it's just shit. Said that Ghostbath, when she was working at Vice Noisy, that bastion of all things musically credible, said that Ghostbath was evidence of China's thriving underground music scene. Um, Kim is a Kim is. I don't know how else to describe it, but an aperture of the loony left. But uh, a question for you, Dennis, is we attempted to correct it. No, I mean, it was a whole, this was what, nine years ago? How yeah, a while ago now, yeah. It was a while ago. Um, all I remember is it was just like a bedroom project of mine and then it started blowing up. And for some reason, I just had the urge to like, troll her really bad and so <laughs> i don't know i i didn't want to like correct her at all <laughs> and she i just remember one email she said my editors don't think you exist can you like give me a call or something and i just sent her like a quote from american psycho about how i don't exist or whatever <laughs> but yeah i was just uh, at that point just fucking around like I don't know. <laughs> Cause I told her, uh, the original, originally she had like talked to me. I said, don't talk about our location. Like, I just want to be like a mystery or whatever. And then the, the article comes out and it's China's answer to death heaven. It's like half like Chinese history. I was like, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> she could move there. Not sure it should go that well there these days, especially, but uh, she could always move there if she's a big fan of it. But I thought it was – I did read the article and it was ludicrous. Uh, I think I, – look, I am I am legit, legitimately a journalist. That's what my my qualifications are. I'm a bachelor of – I got a bachelor of journalism from university. Um, I think you, we've got this – at this point in time, we've got a bunch of so-called journalists out there that are anything but, and you've also got the editors out there that are just scrambling to put the most – the weirdest – shit out there they can possibly find none of it by the way has been fact checked and mm -hmm. it's not about being curious it's about having a narrative and then shoehorning it's not even facts it's just information and data or data data into this narrative and just writing these articles and if they're wrong there's never a, re a retraction there's never a we should have followed this up and been more careful here, but that's a very, very, very good example of what I've been talking about elsewhere on the podcast about how, especially um, with this, the far left at the moment, it's it's just got, it's goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. Joe Rogan, <laughs> he was talking about some academic paper that was um, won a bunch of I don't know whether you'd call them awards or was highlighted, but it was talking about about male aggression within dogs at dog parks um, and talking about how that was part of the patriarchy or something like that. It was completely made up, meaning that the person who wrote the article did it on purpose as in oh, people yeah, like yourself was, was trolling. Yeah, was mm -hmm. trolling and won all these awards. And then, of course, when they stood up and said, hang on, guys, I'm just fucking with you, the people that issued these plaudits and these awards were, of course, very much taken aback and then accused them of probably being a Nazi. I don't know that for a fact, but, you know, that's the narrative these days, isn't it? But, look, the, the other thing was um, Gary McCoy, have you had a chat to him? Yeah, uh, we played a show together in Italy. 
all, all good with those guys. I know he, I mean, I don't think it was a very strongly worded statement with him. There, it was about a decade ago too. So, but um, <laughs> he, he said they stole everything about the whole shit from us. And I think he was probably a few beers deep into his evening when he said something like that, but all good between you guys. I think that's funny. Like everyone points to that one statement, <laughs> like, Oh, they have like beef or something. Mm. Um, I don't know what I think. I didn't even ask him about that because we were just like hanging out. It was cool, but um, I think the they the journalist probably presented it in a certain way, like, "Oh, look at this title and this title." When I don't know, I they were not really like my my inspiration. I don't really listen to shoegaze at all or anything like that. Um, I I more was coming from like the depressive, suicidal black metal side, plus mm. my like hardcore background. But um, yeah, we played we played in Italy together. Uh, we hung out backstage. It was fine. I don't know. I don't have any like problem with them. I don't think they have any problem with us. At least they didn't say anything. <laughs> this is a oh. and we played in Italy like I don't know 2017. So again, it was a long time ago. Yeah, well, you're a nice fella, and I'm sure Kerry is as well. Um, you're right. It's another case of probably shitty, <clears throat> shitty journalism and and um making a comparison that uh, the journalist wanted to make as opposed to one that the artist wanted to make. Oh yeah. I, I read that. And that's like the first thing I thought was they were probably like, okay, let's find every little thing that's kind of the same and present it all at once. And then, you know, get him to say something. That's what I think mm. they did. I don't know. I don't know the journalists. So, Not but I, I don't think very highly of many journalists, honestly, sorry to say, but you probably oh, don't blame un- understand why. <laughs> oh, I don't either. Don't worry. I think you've been trolled okay. a lot yourself. Um, I think you've been on the receiving end of it, um, as we've discussed. And um, I, I've, I've had a very good conversation with Lucas Mann from Rings of Saturn, a former nuclear blast stablemate with you. And, uh, well, as you probably know, he was beaten up for, for because of shit that was said online. And I don't know whether oh, a really? journalist... I didn't know yeah. that. Well, there's... Yeah, he... he, he I'm, I'm sure I'm right in saying this. Either the Australian tour was the first outing for him back into the public sphere in 2019, I think it was, or it was one of the first shows back for him within the public sphere. But, yeah, you could tell he was very guarded and didn't want to um, put himself into a position where he was uh, saying things that might encourage the mob. If you like, for some reason, he's just sort of got this uh, got this thing going on where people um, – like bashing him. And, yeah, you can, unfortunately, in this day and age, uh, build momentum in that direction and it doesn't seem to stop. Uh, but back to you again. I, John sent me across something last night saying that um, you've got a, a syndrome, and I hope I can call it that, called Sturge Weber, if I yeah. pronounced it correctly. Can you tell mm-hmm. me about that? Yeah. Um, it's sort of a rare... I guess you call it syndrome is not a disease. Um, it's kind of like a birth birth defect. Um, I think it's like one in a hundred thousand people get it. You can probably mm. see it on my face now. Oh, oh, it's yeah. all red. Yeah, you couldn't um, see it before. I can see it now though. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of goes away and comes back because it's uh, blood capillaries. And so, you know, if I get cold, how your uh, blood goes to your extremities, it'll get dark purple. Or if I'm like warm, sometimes you can barely see it, but, uh, mm. Basically, the uh, there's like a mass of capillaries when you're in the womb that like forms your brain. It's like a and then it's supposed to kind of go away, and mine didn't go away, <laughs> mm. and so it it like 
stayed in my face. And most people like get seizures, um, get neurological disorders and like, or even like die from it. But for some reason I didn't get any of that. So I'm like a rare case of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I just had this birthmark my entire life. So. Yeah. I hope I wasn't being rude and bringing that up. I just, uh, Oh no. Okay. Yeah. John sent it across last night, as I say, and I'd never heard of it before. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was the the link or the the statement that he sent across says that, uh, yeah, you're one in around 50,000 people and 90% of people with it actually get seizures, but you've thankfully avoided that particular Mm -hmm. uh, characteristic of the syndrome. Yeah. So yeah, it's purely like a, a uh, visual thing for me, which is very lucky because, <laughs> um, mm. because it has to do with the brain. Yeah. A lot of people get seizures, but mine, I think is just more surface level, I guess it like goes into my lip and my whole mm. nose. Yeah. But everyone always asks if I get, got beat up. <laughs> That's basically the, oh, right. the main okay. thing people think when they see me, if they haven't seen it before. Um, mm. and I had the chance to actually, get it removed you can try to get it removed with a laser surgery and they like shoot a laser kind of like they would with a tattoo to like blast it out but i don't know i kind of like it honestly even from when i was like a little kid even though people would like point it out or say something i i just liked it i liked i don't know it was just me i was like i don't want to like change change who i am It's, it's just a part of me now so there's no reason to remove it I was also kind of scared because I was told it it felt like flicking rubber bands in your face for like an hour or whatever it took <laughs> for hours. So I was like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. Yeah, especially on an area as sensitive as the face, where the the skin is very thin. You know, and look, I think it's I think it's cool too, mate. It, it, you're right. It does. It looks like you've been in a scrap or a brawl or something like that. Mm. And you've come out the other side of it, and it sort of gives you a bit of menace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Hey, I'll make this my my final question for you then. Um, you've got a psychology background, I understand, or a background mm-hmm. in psychology. So does that as that does that inform a lot of your your world outlook and your your subsequently lyric writing? Oh, hundred percent. I look at everything I feel like way differently than most people. I, I, I definitely look at it from a psychological standpoint. And I think that's really helped strangely with my record label and, uh, marketing. And I think that's the biggest impact it's had is I, I'm really good at just like reading people and presenting something to them and try to get them to think a certain way or, or feel a certain thing. I think just learning how the brain works, how people think all the kind of cognitive errors people have. I mean, I I'm even thinking of when you're talking about like the journalists, I, I think even down to like, they could put quotations around a certain word and it'll totally change how somebody else is going to read it yeah. or think about, think about it. Like you can say, Oh, they're a black metal band. If you put it around, if you just put quotations, you completely change how somebody's going to like perceive that. So yeah, I, I look at everything through, through sort of a psychological lens. And so mm-hmm. when present like creating the art and, and the wording for the band, uh, that's all in mind for me. Yeah, just on that, it was one of the things that was uh, I was always taught you never put exclamation marks or quotation marks around something unless it is a quote, simple. Mm-hmm. You just don't do it. So it's almost a sure sign that if a journalist is doing that, they're not a journalist. That's usually. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of, uh, I write a lot of prose and 
I was always told don't use exclamation marks. So I, I just don't use them. <laughs> Everyone's like, Oh, it doesn't look professional. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I understand that. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen like CNN, even just like bigger uh, news corporations will use the quotations around random stuff. I'm like, why? <laughs> I know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Trying to get you to think a certain way about something, just either parentheses, quotations, whatever. Yeah. It's all psychological. CNN. I don't know how the hell they're still in business, actually. When Joe Rogan himself outrates all of CNN's outlets when he releases a podcast, I mean, they're, they're not even just struggling for struggling for relevancy. They are completely irrelevant at this point in time. Yeah, it's weird. I think it's just mostly older people who watch like the traditional type media now. Most people will get it online somewhere, mm. Twitter or yeah, elsewhere. Independent outlets, yeah. Yeah. Mate, thanks so much for the conversation. I appreciate it. Congratulations on what you've done today. I feel like it's just the beginning for you, though, um, insofar as I do think what you've done here is uh, with self-loather. In many respects, you've arrived. And, um, look, I look forward to I like the album, as you can tell, and I look forward to listening to especially the synthwave stuff, but definitely Ghostbath too, what you conjure in the future. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. No worries, mate. Okay, all the very best with everything, eh? All right, thank you. Down Thanks, next man. next interview. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good luck with it, mate. No All right, worries. have a good one. Rightio, that was my conversation with Dennis McCooler from Ghost Bath. If you like that chat, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. If you could like, subscribe, and share as well, that'd be awesome. And if you could leave a comment, preferably a, a nice one, yeah, that'd help too. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is goodbye for now.